Thanks for tuning into the Bridge Church Podcast. Our hope for you is that you would feel the welcome home of Christ wherever you're listening from today. We pray that this message encourages you in your faith journey to be with Jesus and become like him for the sake of the world. Let's dive in. Uh, do you guys remember a few months ago when uh, like everyone and their grandma was making those like AI illustrated avatars of themselves, right? Where you like uploaded selfies and well, a few weeks ago, our teaching team suggested that I do that, which was so, I haven't taken a selfie in a deck. It was so uncomfortable, um, but I submitted some selfies and uh, do you want to see some of the results? Here are some of my uh, AI generated avatars. There's uh, this guy here who, um, that's, a, that's a cool looking guy, right? By the way, though, if you ever see me wearing my hair like this, call the police. Something's wrong. Like, I need, I need, uh, I need help. Uh, this second one is, is pretty epic. This is the beard I wish I had. Like, if I could grow a beard like an adult man, like, that would be how the beard, I wish, it's like all my deepest insecurities in one particular avatar. Uh, but this third one's maybe my favorite. I love that this one right here. And, um... <laughs> That feels spot on, right? Uh, if you're here and you're thinking, uh, that looks a lot like Jake Gyllenhaal, it's because it is Jake Gyllenhaal. I, I took that photo off the internet. I actually remember my very first Sunday at our last church in Chicago, um, after Sunday services, a student came up to me and she was so excited and she says, you look just like Jake Gyllenhaal if he never ever worked out. I was like, thanks for throwing that second ever in there. That feels a little personal. But for all of us, there's things that we like wish about our physical appearance wasn't that way or wish was different. I think that's part of why this craze was so widespread because a lot of us, oh man, if only I looked like that. If only that's what people saw when they looked at me. And my guess is maybe all of us have had some of those thoughts, but maybe for you it's not about appearance. How would you finish this sentence? I wish I was blank. I wish I had blank. Maybe it has something to do with your career. Maybe it has something to do with your relationships. Maybe it has something to do with your, your health or your platform or your status or your circumstance. How would you finish that sentence? I wish I was blank. I wish I had blank. For a lot of us, however we fill in that blank, can be the source of a lot of anxiety for us. And that's exactly why we're diving into this series on mental health, which was, by the way, the number one response from our Easter survey last year. So we're diving into a three-week series on this very important topic of mental health. And just to be clear, here's why we're doing it. We wanna break the silence, we wanna remove the stigma, and we want to affirm again and again and again what God says to be true about us. Because here's the thing that's a bit unique in my role as a pastor. I hear a lot of what y'all don't tell each other. It's not just about breaking the stigma like from a stage or a platform at a sermon, it's breaking the stigma as a community, as a family. I hear a lot of the pain and the grief and the struggle that many of us struggle to actually share with anyone else. And in my opinion, the church should be the safest place on planet earth for us to talk about our struggle. It should be the safest place to raise a hand and say, I'm really hurting. I have very real questions or pain or grief. And today and for the rest of this series, if, if you feel like, you know, I'm actually in a pretty good place, 
Praise God. I guarantee someone you know and love is struggling. So this applies, this series is relevant for all of us. Now you might be thinking, okay, so why do a series on mental health like immediately following Easter? I would say it this way. After the resurrection, Jesus showed his wounds. Maybe we don't have to hide ours either. Maybe we don't have to pretend that we're doing better than we actually are. Maybe, maybe part of the vision of what it means to be the body of Christ is to be honest about where it is that we feel like we're struggling. You are not alone. You're gonna hear me say that a lot in this series. You are not alone. You are not alone in whatever it is you bring to this moment. And I think one of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to keep us in the shadows. If there's an enemy, and I believe there is, of course, of course he would want us to keep whatever thing we're struggling with like hidden away in dark places and it really only ever finds healing when we drag it out into the light. And I think there's no greater place that this tends to happen than the battlefield of our mind. Our minds, I would argue, are as much a part of our spiritual life as anything else we do. Jesus uh, pretty famously instructs his first followers in Mark chapter 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Many of us perhaps could even recite this verse. This is part of the great commandment. Jesus was actually articulating and accentuating a specific word, though, in this sentence that is easy for us to miss. He's quoting from something called the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 in the Old Testament. And by the way, most everyone listening in this first century context would have been very familiar, if not have memorized the Shema. And here's what the Shema says in Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Did you notice a word that Jesus adds? Our mind. Our minds, apparently, according to Jesus, are one of the vehicles by which we love God. I think Jesus intentionally adds our minds to this list because the invitation is to bring our whole selves before God, not just our Sunday mornings, not just this particular area of my hobbies or recreation, our entire self, uh, worries, scars, wounds, and all. So that'll be the invitation for this whole series. Bring all of who you actually are to Jesus. So today, uh, we're talking about anxiety. A quick definition. According to the American Psychological Association, anxiety is an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. Essentially, anxiety is the body's response to worry and fear. Now, what's tricky about anxiety in particular is that the word anxiety like, covers a, a broad range of territory. For example, there's acute anxiety. Acute anxiety is based on something real. Like if you have to swerve suddenly on the freeway, right? And you just know the feeling that I'm talking about? It's acute anxiety. Like if you went to the playground with two children, but right now you only see one. (laughs) Am I the only one that's ever? (laughs) That is acute anxiety. It's based on something real. Like if I said, hey, uh, just turn to your neighbor and share with them your deepest, darkest secret and go. That feeling you just felt, (laughs) that is acute anxiety. Another example is chronic anxiety. This is based on something perceived. For me, if I'm really blunt, it's like if I'm in a meeting and someone calls on me in front of everyone and I don't know the answer to that question. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Oh, they're not, oh man, I'm going to look like a fool and no one's going to like trust me in the future. It's based on something perceived. 
if I'm worried I'm going to disappoint someone, this is for my perfectionists, this is for my control freaks. Here's like a, a lighthearted version of chronic anxiety. I saw this online a couple weeks ago. So uh, the, the post says, my dad seriously sent this to our family group chat. So this is in a family group chat. Many of you are in such group chats. And uh, the dad said this, I can't keep up with the pressure of always having to LOL or like or heart everyone's random thoughts, pics, and amusements for all future texts. I love them, laugh at them, or like them, unless it's bad, then I dislike them. In perpetuity, I can't live with this pressure. I'm out. <laughs> Feel free to copy and paste and use in your own <laughs> threads. It's this sort of pressure like, ah, if I don't like it or I don't respond, you're gonna think this thing about me. That is like a lighthearted version of chronic anxiety. It doesn't always look like worry or fear. It looks like reactivity. It looks like what we do when we don't get what we need in that moment. I have struggled in this area for years myself. Now, to be very clear, again, you'll hear me say this a lot in this series, there's a difference between chronic anxiety and chronic anxiety disorder. It's a difference between acute anxiety and acute anxiety disorder. Anxiety also includes depression, grief, PTSD, phobias, and more. But just so that we understand like how big of an issue this is and why it's so important that we talk about this, especially in the church. According to the CDC, more than 50% of Americans will be diagnosed with a mental illness or disorder at some point in their life. 50%. So there's 100% chance that you are either struggling, will struggle, or love someone who will. One in five Americans will experience a mental illness in a given year. According to my friend, uh, Dr. John Deloney, he said, depending on what data you examine, more than 50% of the US population, give or take, reports that their lives are affected specifically by anxiety. If you uh, just search on Amazon books on anxiety, worry, and fear, there's more than 100,000 options. According to the Anxiety Disorder Association of America, it is the number one reason people reach out. Not issues in their marriage, not finances, it's anxiety. Anxiety disorders affect 31.9% of adolescents between the ages of 13 and 18. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, an estimated 31% of all adults will experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their life. And it is the most common mental disorder in the US affecting somewhere in the ballpark of 40 million adults right now. And I say all this to say this, those are not just stats, those are people. They're not just numbers, they are souls, they are people, sons and daughters of a God who made them in his image and his likeness, people in our church family, many of whom sitting with us right now, watching online. And again, if there's one place where it should be okay to not be okay, it's the church. I hope that that is true of this church, of this community because I think the best place to bring our anxiety is the foot of the cross. To raise a hand, to ask for help, to be honest, which is exactly why we're spending the next three weeks diving into this really important topic. And when it comes to the Bible, just to be clear, here's just a quick flyover. Uh, King David was depressed. Job was hopeless. Elijah was suicidal. King Solomon hated life. And Jeremiah wished he had never been born. If the Bible does not hide these stories, is it possible we don't need to either? If these made the cut, is it possible that we maybe don't need to sweep 
our struggles, our difficulty under the rug. Now, maybe the most famous or infamous passage specifically around the topic of anxiety comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, and says, do not be anxious about anything. Some of you are thinking, wow, that's direct. You're like, oh, that's all. I just have to not be anxious. Okay, phew, I hadn't thought of that before. A little bit of context. Paul here is writing from a prison cell. I would argue um, an anxious place. If anyone had reason to be anxious, uh, it would be Paul. And I think how you read this very short command has a lot to do with how you perceive God. And how we perceive God often has to do with how we related to other authority figures in our past. Maybe you had an old man that regularly told you, suck it up, buttercup. Deal with it. Be a man. Maybe you had a coach that was always belittling, like, oh, are you a crybaby? Oh, you can't go on? Oh, you're struggling? Maybe it was a bully, and if you showed any signs of weakness or vulnerability, that bully just like latched on and attacked. Like often, how we perceive God has to do with how we have experienced other authority figures in our life. I do not think that the heartbeat behind God's command through the Apostle Paul here to not be anxious is just deny it. Just stuff it down. Suck it up, be a man. I think it's the posture of a loving father. I have uh, young boys, and every once in a while, there'll be like a storm in the middle of the night, and it'll wake one of them up. And we had a, a pretty big thunderstorm a couple weeks ago, and uh, there was a pretty loud crash, and my four-year-old, Red, uh, woke up, and it like really freaked him out. And so I, I went into the room, and I sat next to him on the bed, and what I didn't do was put my arm around him and say, suck it up, man. It's just a storm. You're four, you should have this figured out by now. <laughs> no, I didn't say any of that. I put my arm around my baby boy and what did I say? You don't have to be afraid, Papa's here. You don't have to worry, Papa's here. That, I believe, is God's heart. I'll say it this way. Anxiety is not a sin, it's a signal. Anxiety is not a sin, it's a signal. God created our bodies in such a way that if there's a threat or a potential threat, that we respond in some kind of way to either protect ourselves or move to action. It's like the check engine light in our car. Hey, something else is going on. It's like the smoke detector in our kitchen. You could just take the batteries out when it goes off or smash it down with the broom, right? It might be better to put out the fire. So here's how the rest of the passage reads. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests, your fears, your worries, your anxieties to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So first thing he highlights is prayer. And if, you, if you're unfamiliar with like prayer, prayer is simply connecting with God. Bluntly put, it's, it's, relationship, it's communication, it's talking to and listening to God. The Psalms, by the way, are filled with people who are on the run, who are filled with anxiety and worry. Like, I love that that made the cut in the songbook of the Bible. And we see over and over again, the psalmist bringing these legitimate fears and worries to God. And almost every time at the end, they find faith in doing so. In simply communing with God, Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a communication pathologist, audiologist, clinical and cognitive neuroscientist, says it this way. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer 
over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. This type of prayer increases activity in brain areas associated with social interaction, compassion, and sensitivity to others. Maybe for you, that is, that is the one takeaway today. Maybe even for the skeptic, you're like, I'm not even sure there is a God. What if just 12 minutes a day for eight weeks? You prayed, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. You brought your legitimate worries and anxieties and fears before him. When we connect with God, Intentionally, our very neurobiology changes. Our physiology changes. I think that at the very least that is worth your consideration. Prayer is this reminder that God is present. This is my arm around my boy. You, you don't have to be anxious, I'm here. Second thing the Apostle Paul says is this word petition. And petition feels like kind of a, a churchy word, but it's just asking God for what you need. Some of us were maybe raised in a context where you, couldn't, you were never encouraged to actually ask for what you need. It was sort of like a stoic, never let him see you sweat, never let anyone know that you actually have a need. In prayer and petition, we say, hey, Papa, God, um, here's what I need right now. This is where I'm hurting. This is where I'm struggling. And we experience that God is able to handle anything that we face. Uh, uh, perhaps a project for you this week is to study the Old Testament names of God. It's, it's a beautiful thing to do because we see these different names that are associated with different attributes of God's character, and we see again and again just exactly how God is able. He is our provider. He is our peace. What would it look like to spend the next eight weeks perhaps meditating on those names, remembering that God is able? And then third, he uses this word thanksgiving, which is essentially saying you don't have to be anxious. Look at the ways I have been faithful in the past. This again is not an area of strength of mine. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Some of you are journalers, and if you're a journaler, you are the holiest people on planet Earth. I wish, I wish I, I wish I was a journaler because I am often kind of struck with like the spiritual amnesia, like God can come through, and then the very next day I forget that he came through and I'm worried about the next thing. The next hill we're climbing or the next thing around the corner or the next obstacle or whatever. Anyone else like that? Like you just, you're afflicted with spiritual amnesia. Part of what Paul is reminding us here is remember God's past provision. Remember that he is able and let it lead you to gratitude, to thanksgiving. And then verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I think that is actually really profound. I think the root of much of our anxiety has its root in a distortion of the truth. Much, not all, but much of our anxiety finds itself in a, a, a distortion of what's actually true. He's saying here, don't, you don't have to be anxious. Focus on what is true. Now notice who Paul is addressing this to. He's addressing it to who? Brothers and sisters. He is writing in the context of community. He's addressing a community. It's, it's honestly why I love the, the series title, Not Alone. You are not alone. You were not designed to do life alone. One of the ways that we identify what's actually true is in the context of community. Do you have friends like that? You ever had someone like pull you aside like, hey, this might be a blind spot. And I don't think you can see it, but I can see it clear as day. Anyone have that kind of friend, that kind of community? We identify what's true and what's a lie together. 
Because other people, gospel community, will see things that we cannot see on our own because we were not made to do life alone. Now, when it comes to anxiety, we are all gonna struggle to some degree, in some way, shape, or form. But many of us will face times when the usual methods of managing our anxiety just don't work. And then, please hear me, that's when we need to get help. It does not mean that your faith is broken. It does not mean that you didn't pray hard enough. I am so sorry if someone told you that at some point in your life. In a lot of ways, mental illness, I think, can be compared to physical illness. Because a physical illness can be anything from a cold to cancer, right? They're both technically physical illnesses. But how you respond to them is completely different. If you have a cold, what do you do? And they eat some chicken noodle soup, like binge watch The Price is Right and take a nap, right? Like you're, and for the most part, is that still a relevant show? I don't even know if that's. <laughs> but for a cold, for a common cold, that'll kind of, that, that should do the trick. Cancer requires something different. Cancer requires probably going and seeing an oncologist and they may recommend chemotherapy. A cold will cause you not to feel well, but cancer is life-threatening. I think the same can be true of mental illness. Feeling overly anxious about a presentation at work is one thing, but feeling like you cannot get out of bed is something else entirely. And it is not lost to me that for some of you, it was everything you could do to even drag yourself out of bed to be here today or to log on online. That's something different. Mild anxiety may just need like a nap or a snack. Some of us just need to honestly put our phones down and go breathe real air. But, the, but for others of us though, Depression and desperate thoughts require more help. And to be really clear, and again, you'll hear me say this a lot, I am not a mental health professional. And so for that reason, uh, I've invited my friend Devona to share some of her expertise. Devona is a licensed professional counselor with dual master's degrees in divinity and counseling from Loyola University. Take a look at our conversation. Well, this week we're talking about anxiety, and uh, I think I'm, I'm correct in saying that like, Pretty much everyone will deal with some level of anxiety in their life, but how do you how do you know if if you have a problem? Yeah, well, anxiety keeps us alive, right? If I'm worried about cars while I'm crossing the street, I'm going to be very careful not to get hit by a car. Right. Anxiety is a problem if I can't attach it to anything. Where if I'm sitting in my house and I'm worried about cars going up and down the street, clearly that's anxiety because I'm not in imminent danger. There isn't anything in this moment that is causing me to be afraid. Mm. So anxiety is a problem when we can't turn that off. I can't tell myself, I don't need to worry about that right now. Yeah. But where my mind is just cycling, my heart is racing, that's where it becomes more problematic. So if, if someone's watching or listening right now and they recognize, oh, I think that's that's what I have. What, what do you say to the person who is maybe for the first time recognizing, oh, I I think this isn't just generalized anxiety. I think I actually have a problem. Yeah, well, generalized anxiety disorder mm. um, is a problem when we can't shut it off to the point where it's hard to sleep at night, um, where you're fixating on whatever you're worried about. If I encountered somebody experiencing that, I might say, 
anxiety is normal. And I might encourage them to take a deep breath. The slow in and out sends a message to your body and brain that I'm not in danger and I'm okay. Mm. So I would just have them breathe in the moment and then talk about, hey, where did this start? And the therapist to me, where did this start? <laughs> where do we trace it to? Mm. And then what can we do to manage it in the moment, especially when it reaches like its most intense place? Mm. So what do you say then? Because I feel like I've heard it said a number of times, like scripture tells us just don't be anxious. So I've often, I think, heard well-meaning people say to someone who is truly struggling, just stop. Just stop. The Bible says not to. You just shouldn't You shouldn't be anxious. What, what do you say to the person that maybe uh, has, has that particular understanding? The be anxious for nothing? Yeah. Well, I would tell them, first of all, um, every emotion is almost like a divine message. That's why we can't control our emotions. Mm. So it's not that simple. And if you were choosing to be anxious, then yes, it would be easy to say, just stop. How we feel is not a choice. And because it's not a choice, we have to manage it the best way we can. And part of that is first acknowledging it mm. and then just breathe, take in the breath of God and allow that to guide your hearts and minds, if you will. I would That's take so it back good. to scripture for them. Yeah. Yeah. Are there, are there other scriptures that have been helpful for you in this particular conversation? Um, this might seem like a reach, but it works for me where Jesus says, make your yes, yes. And a no, a no. Mm. Sometimes when I'm feeling anxious, it's because I'm mismatched in my answering of people. I'm telling somebody, yes, I would love to do that. But internally I'm saying, I don't want to do that. Mm. So making sure I'm congruent. So Jesus saying, let your yes be yes and no, and no, that is really helpful for me. Mm. Um, Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay. So what do you say to the person who at this point they're saying, you know, I think, I think I'm good, but actually hearing you talk, I, I think I maybe have a, a friend or a family member who, who is maybe struggling. What would you say to the person who's the friend of someone who is struggling? How can they be a good friend or a good family member to someone who's maybe in that right now? Well, while all scripture has its place, telling somebody, don't be anxious, be anxious for nothing is probably not the best idea. Mm -hmm. um, but just have a curious mind when you approach them and say, oh, so you're really worried about this. Um, is it keeping you up at night? Is it the only thing you can think about? And if they say yes, then you might say, hey, I think you might have like a clinical problem with anxiety. And there are ways to do it. Prayer is specialized meditation. So mm. focusing on God, for example, and just praying through whatever is bothering you is a way to deal with that. And then medication is not a problem if you need it. Like if you had a heart problem, you would take heart medication. If you have an anxiety issue where you can't control it, a little bit of help to bring things down mm. could be in order. But just saying anxiety is normal and you don't have to keep living this way could be mm. really helpful and go a long way for people. Yeah, one of the things that I, I think that you're particularly exceptional at doing is is giving people a vision for a potential future. And <laughs> as, we, as we wrap up for this week, uh, I would love for you to just take a minute or two and just offer uh, a word of hope to someone who right now in this moment feels like they're, they're underwater. Yeah. Well, we are in the season of resurrection, right? And Jesus came to give life to things that we thought were dead. 
um, Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. And I believe in that promise for myself, but also for anyone watching. So lean into that abundant life. And if you're really struggling, know that it will not last always. That is not the promise that Jesus has brought to us. So I wish you abundant life. Mm, so good. Devona, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your heart with us. I appreciate it. It is my pleasure to be with you. I, I am so grateful for people like Devona and others who can help point us to what's actually true. And uh, our team has actually put together a, a resource I would love to encourage all of us to go to. It's uh, bridge.tv slash not alone. And at the very top, there's a, a, an option to connect with us and our care team to, to meet with a real flesh and blood person. And then there's a whole lot of resources. There are counselors that we have uh, vetted. There are books and podcasts and apps. Uh, I cannot encourage you enough. Take a photo of this, write it down, um, check out the resources and, and get the kind of help that you or someone that you know uh, desperately needs. Because this is the refrain. And I think it's worth repeating that we are not alone. We are not alone. For some of us in our struggle with anxiety, it might just be, man, I, I have not actually really been meditating on scripture. I've just been kind of reading through it. Or yeah, I can admit that my, my prayer life has maybe really been suffering. Maybe it's exercise, maybe it's diet, maybe it's knowing your triggers, maybe it's actually putting the phone down, it's eating an apple, it's talking to another human person. But for others of us, it's, it's significantly more severe than that. And we would never shame someone for putting a cast on a broken bone because that leads to healing. So again, this is a safe place to not be okay, to bring your struggle, to bring your pain. The last thing I want us to note from this passage from Paul is verse nine. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into, what's the word? Practice, put into practice. Take some step. Do something with the information that you've learned today. So in these few short verses, we see that we get to understand God's heart towards the things that cause us anxiety. We can ask what is actually true in this moment. And then lastly, it's an invitation to actually put into practice. And so here's, here's what I want us to kind of land, doing exactly that. Uh, first, twofold challenge. One, if you're here and you recognize yourself in some of what Devona said or what I said, um, please go to bridge.tv slash not alone. Like, please take even just that, that one step to, to reach out. Let us as a church, as a community, walk alongside you to help you get the help that you need. Pursuing mental health, I would argue, is one of the ways that we love God with our mind. Secondly, and this is for all of us, I want us to memorize a Bible verse. And I, maybe some of us haven't done a Bible memory verse in a long time. It's been a minute for me to, as well. But there's a, a passage in particular, because I think one of the primary reasons that God gave us the Bible is so that we could train our minds to tell us the truth, to combat the lies that the enemy tells us, that our mind tells us, that our world tells us. And in the same way that your physiological immune system is designed to protect your physical well-being, a strong spiritual immune system can help protect your mental well-being. So, I'd love for us to read this passage out loud. When you find yourself struggling, let's fight back with this truth. And I'd love for us to read this out loud together. One, two, three. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is such truth to anchor our lives on. Why this first? Quickly, this word showed here in verse 9 is the word phanero in Greek, and it literally means to be revealed. It refers to something that had been hidden and is now disclosed. More specifically, it's telling us that when Jesus comes into our world, he shows us something that we've never seen before. And when we're anxious about the future, when we're uncertain about our life or the outcome, we know how the story ends. We might still struggle this side of eternity, but we know that pain and suffering and grief does not have the last word. And this is how we know what love is. Not that we loved God, but that he first loves us. In our pain, in our struggle, that God comes after us. He draws near to us in our weakness. Over and over and over again, we see in scripture, fear not. And almost every time it's followed by these words, for I am with you. That even if the circumstance is still hard and at many times still will be, is the promise of his presence. Jesus revealed love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Just like we're gonna sing together in a second. How great your affections are for us, God. Some of you need to be reminded of that truth in a profound way today. I believe that Jesus is perhaps revealing that to some of us. Maybe for the first time, you're becoming aware of this great love that God has for you exactly as you are. He loves us in our mess. Brendan Manning put it this way, God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be because nobody is as they should be. He loves you as you are, not when you get your life together, not when you finally beat this addiction, not when you can cross every theological T and dot every I right now. And so when your mind starts asking, what's the matter with you? Or lying, saying you're not good enough. Or deceiving and saying you're not worth it. We combat it with the truth. We get off the anxiety treadmill. We pause and breathe and we remember the Lord. And friend, if, if you are here today, you hear my voice and you're struggling, please hear from me. You are not crazy. You are loved. You are not alone. You are loved. Let Jesus reveal to you that God loves you exactly as you are. It doesn't mean that our life won't sometimes be hard, but it does mean that we're not alone. Thanks so much for joining us. And for those of you who support our mission, thank you for your joyful generosity. It's because you give that we're able to see lives changed forever by the gospel. You can click the link in the description of this episode to give now or go to bridge.tv for more information about our church. We believe the gospel is good news worth sharing. So if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to subscribe and share this episode with family and friends on social media. You can also tag us at bridgechurchtn. Thanks again for listening.